Welcome back to the Jubilee Plus podcast. It's great to be back with you. I'm Abby Thomas and I'm bringing you a seminar today from the CEO of Jubilee Plus, Natalie Williams, along with Paul Mann, who is the leader of King's Church Hastings, the church which Natalie is a part of. So this seminar promises to be great because it is called Influencing Your Church Leader. And we'll begin by hearing from Natalie Williams. Thanks for coming to this seminar. I wanted to put this seminar on because as I would describe myself as an activist only because I can't really think of a better word and I know how difficult it can be for activists with church leaders who seem to care about more than social action and social justice and that actually they can be a source of frustration uh, to us and us to them which Paul will cover more of that side of it. I'm not going to Uh, set that up for him but one of the things one of the verses that has really been on my heart not for the whole time I've worked in Hastings but in more recent years is in Philippians 4 verse 1 when Paul describes the people the church of Philippi as my joy and my crown and I think there are times when Paul might have said that about me, but there are definitely times where he might not have. There's too much laughter coming from that area, yeah. But actually, as an activist, what I do want to be is, I want my church leader to be able to say of me, actually, you're my joy and my crown. I want them to be able to celebrate that I'm in their church rather than wish I'd leave. Um, (laughs) Just trying to subtly tell Paul what not to say. Um, But... I think one of the biggest difficulties for activists can be the relationship with church leaders or church leadership teams. And um, that works both ways, but I'm talking from the activist side of it. And so just to give you a bit of background for me, I worked for King's Church, Hastings and Bexhill. We call it King's Church 1066 because of the Battle of Hastings, you know, 1066. And I've worked for the church for 11 and a half years Um, I finished working for the church in March of this year. But over those 11 and a half years, um, there are times when Paul and I have got on really well. And there are times when um, we've probably made each other want to quit our jobs. Um, (laughs) We've had some really tricky times, like really. And we talk about it openly because it's not just our story. It will be the story for lots of people. And so one of the reasons we have talked about it a few times, but particularly why I wanted this seminar is because I think it can be helpful to go, actually, it is normal to clash. It is normal to have these kind of tussles, these um, difficulties, these frustrations, but also there is a way through them. And there is a way to learn to work really, really well together. So Paul took me on in September 2011. I have no idea why he did that, because at the time... I I wanted to shape communication in the church. Actually, I didn't want to shape social action primarily at that time because my background's in journalism. I had a communication strategy that I took to Paul, and I don't know if he even remembers it, but I felt like he he just looked a bit bored. Um, he didn't look like he was that interested in it. And then later he offered me a job, 
And it wasn't to do communication. And I don't know why he offered me that job. And over the 11 and a half years, I've changed role a number of times. But from the very outset, social action was at the heart of it because we were in the process of launching a food bank. Paul's going to talk about some of this, so I don't want to take too much from what he's going to say. But so social action has been part of my job for the begin- from the beginning. But certainly in my last three or four years or so, <laughs> all right, Steve's all right at the back there. Um, in my last three or four years or so, my whole role has been social action and like I say it's been difficult at times Um, we are a church that has a lot of social action but it hasn't always been the case so um, we've got seven projects at the moment Um, a big food bank busy food bank proportionally for the size of town that we are We've got a cap debt centre that we partner with other churches. We've got Baby Basics. We've got supporting survivors of modern slavery. There's a whole range of projects that we run. And those have really grown um, over the last 11 and a half years or so. Um, And what I do want to say before Paul gets up to speak, I think it's so important that in this sort of subject we hear from a church leader. It's so important that we hear his perspective on... Because I can tell you how I think I've influenced him but he can tell you how it's really happened. But I do want to say that Paul and I are really good friends. So we hang out socially. We don't just work together. We, but we weren't friends when I started working for the church. So somehow through all the uh, battles and frustrations and difficulties, some of which we'll talk about today, somehow in the middle of that, we have actually become really, really great friends. Like we often... Um, with his wife and a couple of other people, hang out on a Sunday night, watching TV, getting takeaways. There's all sorts of funny mockery uh, and banter that goes on. We're really, really good friends, but that has come out of quite a lot of just tricky working together, which is what we're going to talk about a bit more today. So, Paul, I'm going to hand over to you. Thanks, Nat. It's a real joy to be here. Um, and, and serve you guys in this way. Won't we stand? Before we talk, I was quite provoked. If any of you were in Steph's um, seminar earlier, he, he spoke about various different things, but he, he spoke about um, when, when, when out of our heart, in our hearts, we're, we're just struggling. Life's just, just hard. We're a bit disillusioned. We may be a bit bitter. There may be a bit of disappointment in there just because of what's going on. It can nearly just be the, 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 the weight of life, the ongoing weight of church life and the knock-on effects of that. And I think we're going to touch on stuff which may, may f- not feed into that, hopefully help with that. But, but I just wanted to start by, why don't we just, I just want to pray for the Holy Spirit to come and to minister to our hearts whatever situation we're in. If we're discouraged, encouraged, feel like quitting, feel on top of the world, that we would know something in the ministry of the Holy Spirit, just speaking right into us right now. So we, Holy Spirit, I thank you you've been with us so wonderfully throughout today. And we invite you, Holy Spirit, to please come minister to the deepest, deepest part of us. Lord, I pray particularly for those. I pray for those that are are just today, they're here and they are just really struggling. They feel like they're trying to push this, this boulder up a hill and everything is against them and there's no one else helping them. They're just worn out 
fed up, I ask, Holy Spirit, please will you come? The God of all comfort, who comes close. Holy Spirit, would you come minister to our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name. Lord, I pray even it could just be a throwaway line or something that me on that says. I pray, Lord, I pray, Holy Spirit, would you make it live? I pray it'd be life-giving. It'd be strength-bringing. Lord, it would be comforting, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Brilliant. Grab a seat. Um, As Nat said, we're going to sort of track through our, I guess, working relationship um, is is one way you you could describe it. Um, We're going to sort of do that. Um, I'll, I'll try and share as honestly as I can about how things have been from a leadership perspective. So I'm one of the elders in the church. I would have worked very closely with Natalie. Um, Natalie will obviously share from an activist uh, perspective. You'll probably hear two completely different sides of the same stories, thinking they cannot be the same event. But but that is our recollection of uh, of of how it of how it went. And we're aware that for each of you it'll be different. It won't all be this, you know. But hopefully some of the principles that we bring out um, will be helpful to you. I mean, truth is, as a church, we've always had a heart for the disadvantaged. The church sort of got planted nearly 50 years ago because, because there were some youngsters on an estate who came to know Jesus, and this is way before mine on that list time. The churches they were part of, these leaders, didn't know what to do with them. And so the guy said, well, we're going to start a church where they can go, and they can feel part of it, and they can be accepted. And over the years, we've done various different things. We've run a kids' club um, where at one point we were busing in 300 uh, primary school-aged children. We ran an event called Storm, which was similar um, for youth on a Friday night. Um, crime diminished in the town and increased inside our building. That was our, that was our story, really. Um, um, and, and, and to be honest, these, these projects, these ministries were absolutely brilliant, but, but stretched us to breaking point. Um, as a church and as Natalie's commented about 10 years ago we wanted to reinvent our midweek church life we we started something called community groups they would have been mission focused midweek groups 30 to 60 in size um, as a leadership team we felt very much that's the way we should go we're going to partner we're, we're going to sort of uh, trial three see see how it goes from there um, and and be quite honest as a leadership we couldn't find we couldn't work out who it should be that should run with them. Um, And then we spotted Natalie loitering around. And we asked if Natalie would help us get these groups up and running to get them off the ground. Um, And Food Bank was one of them, but we did one for people from overseas. We did one for families. We did one for the elderly. elderly. They were various different things. And if I'm not totally honest, I don't quite know if Natalie was even that passionate about it. But I suppose I I just want to highlight something that's really key, I think, in our story, is that the earliest days, actually, it, it was... Natalie serving the vision of the leadership that caught our attention. The, the, the first thing really that, that we realized was that, that, that Natalie was someone that could follow someone else's vision before she ever was telling us about, if I can be quite honest, what we might be doing wrong. Does that make sense? 
And over time and over a number of years, Natalie worked with groups of volunteers. She worked with groups. She set them up. She proved faithful. Um, she was an absolute um, blessing to us. And Connect Groups was the first real reason why, first as a volunteer and then as an employed, part-time employed member of staff, that, that Natalie got involved, I think, with church in that way and I'm sure because of how Natalie's wired she had opinions on lots of different things but the thing that we or I remember as I look back all those years ago was how she served how she managed to do things and what a blessing she was to the church as a whole she carried and implemented church vision long before she looked to shape where we were going and I can't remember who it was that said that, but someone today has already sort of made that point. It isn't uncommon if you're a church leader for people to turn up with this big vision of what they want to do. And nearly the first things they're talking about to a church leader is how the church leader needs to change how the church is running in order to accommodate what they want to do. It, it didn't work that way in our sort of working relationship um, together. I can remember Natalie also asking me... Um, why on earth was it that we gave Natalie this opportunity? She said, well, why me? Because she'd never, it's not as though she was running around saying, I love the idea of community groups. I really want to make them happen. She, she wasn't doing that. Why? She'd been in communications. She'd worked for a um, local government organisation in communicating about reduced crime and stuff like that. And obviously I had a good skill set, but why? And off the top of my head, I said these three things. And I'm not certain they're the only three. But these were three things that caught our attention um, and they're part of who Natalie is. Firstly, Natalie's just reliable. She does what she says she's going to do. She keeps her word. She's got good character. She sorts out more problems than she creates. I'm not certain that's the case now, but, but, it, but it, was, it was then. Um, She's not just loads of ideas, but she can also make them happen. And that was something, just that whole thing of being a reliable person. And I guess as you're looking to influence church leaders, there's something about one growing in trust, which I've already just spoken about in the sense of running with church's vision before you are pushing your own. So growing in trust in that area. But secondly, that whole thing of being reliable is really, really important. I mean, Natalie's clearly gifted. Um, I think that's obvious there isn't you know probably anything needed to be added there we can see that then although it is worth noting that Natalie 10 years ago is quite different to how she was then but but clearly she was gifted and she was able and and the third thing was that Natalie was available she she was actually available to get stuff done I can't remember if you were busy then or not you were busy yeah Okay, Natalie's telling me she was busy. I'm not certain I can recollect that. But Natalie says she was busy, but she would always get things done. And so there was something about being reliable, gifted, and available that created a foundation for influence. It really created trust. There was a, a trust interaction that needed to grow. And I think, truth is, I'm, I'm imagining most of you here are activists um, and you're looking to help um, your church leadership head in the right direction. Growing trust 
and building a foundation on which influence can happen is so important if that's going to happen well. We're kind of going to take it in turns in this and I'm slightly worried that Paul's going to be nice and I'm going to be the one who then goes, yeah, but that's not exactly how it happened. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, I don't... I agree with everything Paul has said about church history and our church history, but I wouldn't have seen it like that. I um, So when... I wasn't around at the beginning of the church because I'm not that old, but um, also... I don't, I wasn't involved, I got saved when the church was, I don't know, probably like 20 years old or something like that. Um, and so for me, I didn't know that background of caring about people in poverty. I didn't know where it had come from. And for me, I just felt like I joined this very middle class church when I got saved and that I didn't really fit in and I didn't really relate. So although, um, obviously we're both telling the truth, but it's kind of different versions or our own experiences of the truth but one of the things um for me before paul was leading the church i was deeply frustrated because of the secular job that i had um i worked as paul said in kind of a partnership of local government but also with the police uh, probation healthcare, and others a lot of frontline organizations and they a lot of the time wouldn't even think can any of the churches in the town help us because they didn't really, they did know of us because of Storm that Paul talked about and crime did genuinely fall. We ran Storm on alternate Friday nights. I was involved on it as a volunteer and because of where I work, we were able to track crime rates um, relating both to teenagers and committed by teenagers. And on alternate Friday nights, they would drop and then on the Friday night, we didn't run Storm, they would rise and it was a very, very clear pattern. So the police were aware of us because of that. But I had this um, situation where I had the High Sheriff of East Sussex come to me and say, um, I hear that your church is a pretty big church. I hear you've got a couple of hundred people. And I was like, yeah, that's right. And then she said, well, I need five guys who, five guys, not the restaurant, um, five men who will mentor men who are about six months away from coming out of prison. And I need five men who will meet up with them weekly just for an hour uh, for six months while they're in prison. And then for six months when they come out of prison because they are repeat offenders. And we know that mentoring has been proven to be something that helps people not repeat offend. So the High Sheriff of East Sussex said to me, can you get five people from your church? And I said, yeah, I'm sure I can. And like I say, this is before Paul's time, but... Um, basically turned out that, no, I couldn't um, because it wasn't part of the vision of the leadership at the time. So from my point of view, I was embarrassed by the church. I was like, how can I go back and tell this woman that my church can't find five men when she knows that there's... And she said, thought there were 200 people in her church. There was closer to 300 at the time. Obviously, I kept that very quiet when I had to go back to her and say, no, we can't help. And then the second thing that happened was that um, my boss at the Safer Hastings Partnership where I was working um, had heard about this thing called street angels or um, street pastors. And he'd heard about how it was reducing public place violent crime in um, some towns and cities in the north of the country. And he said to me, well, I already knew this, public place violent crime was the one crime type we weren't able to bring down. So my job was communicating about crime, but everyone I worked with, their job was actually reducing crime. And they'd reduce burglary and car crime and all these other types. But public place violent crime, mostly related to the nighttime evening economy, uh, was going up while everything else was coming down. 
And so my boss said to me, we need something like this street pastors or this street angels thing because it seems to be working elsewhere. Will your church set it up? And I went and asked the question and the answer was no. Well, actually the question was, well, can we preach the gospel? And I was like, well, you can, but that's not, like, you can, but that's not the primary reason for doing it. So the answer was no. And so in the context before Paul and I ever worked with each other, I was embarrassed by the church. I was annoyed with the church. I was annoyed like with everyone, actually, is the truth. Because I was annoyed with the police and the council and my boss for asking me these questions because then they was putting me in such an awkward situation. So although Paul kind of remembers me as being kind of available and willing and without my own agenda, I, I don't quite know. I definitely did have my own agenda, but I don't know how I managed to not let it... Yeah, he's, he's blocked it out. He's traumatised. Because I definitely did have in mind, you know, that I, I want... I want change in the church. But when I started working with Paul, um, I didn't want a job working for the church because I was embarrassed by the church. So one of the things I said to Paul when I started is, can I go around all the local decision makers and ask them what they'd want the church to do? And I remember we had this funny conversation. I didn't know Paul then as well as I do now, but I was like, he's twitchy. Why is he so twitchy about this? Like, what's He was saying to me, well, what are you going to say we can do? And I was like, no, well, I won't promise anything. And he set me some boundaries. And I think one of the things I tried to do at the beginning was stick within the boundaries that he set me. I didn't entirely do that. I I basically, what I tried to do is learn where's the line and how far over it can I go and he'll still trust me and he'll still let me kind of do the things that I want to do. And so part of, I think, being able to influence him is, as he's put it, kind of, I served his vision. I don't think we, either of us would have put it like that at the time, but obviously you look back and you kind of find language to describe it. But definitely in those early days, he set me quite clear boundaries. So he said I could go and meet with all the local decision makers, but that I couldn't offer them anything without coming back and, you know, just talking about it. And so I think in those early days, because I, I went and met with them and I came back and I said to him, this is what they've said and I didn't promise them anything, but could we take this step and could we take that step? And it all kind of started with the police phoned and said, we've got a woman who's a victim of domestic abuse. Um, she, The perpetrator is going to be sentenced and no statutory agency can afford the train fare um, to get her to go and see justice be done. Would your church cover the train fare? And I said, I don't know can I call you back in 10 minutes? And I honestly, I felt so nervous because I thought, Paul, please don't say no. Please don't say no. Like, I, I just didn't want like, to say, I, I thought the church needs to say yes to this. And I went to Paul and I think within like 30 seconds, he'd said yes. Uh, he just was like, yeah. And actually that was part of um, influencing was actually taking these small steps, not kind of going, can we pay for train fares for everyone who's suffered domestic abuse to go to their court case? But actually, there's one thing the police are asking us to do right now. Can we do that one thing? And I tried to stick closely within those boundaries. And that meant that it actually wasn't long after that, probably within a year of that, I was saying to Paul, could we offer training for the police on how to spot the signs of human trafficking? And he was kind of, by that point, I think very early on, saying, actually, yeah, because we've done a few little steps now, so we can do that. And I think we had 94 police, council, fire service and that sign up. I'd said to the police, we'll do it if you can get 20 people there. We had 94 sign up for it. But I think Paul let me do that because I had built up those little steps along the way and felt very much like I had to take him on that journey, which all sounds very manipulative, but 
I, I don't think it's been done manipulatively. I think it's been done quite openly and transparently. And it, it can't be manipulation if he sees what's happen, happening to him, right? So that's a bit of my story from the early, the early days. Paul, do you want to talk about the middle? The tricky middle. And I was just blissfully unaware the whole way through of how frustrated Natalie was. So uh, that's, that's good. I, th- I mean, obviously, Natalie has influenced us in big ways over, um, over the years. But, but the truth is that influence is often seen in disagreement, tension, and meetings that end in a truce rather than an agreement. That's, that's often how it is. It's, it's, it's not... Um, peace and joy and all those things. And for me, I think part of it is I will go out of a meeting quite frustrated and impatient with Natalie. That's the truth. I will go and I will, like Toppy was saying, I will go and bring it to God. I will check my own heart in it. I will process it through. And then we come back and we talk again. And I think, I think I just thought I wanted to co- comment just on a couple of things in connection with that, with church leaders. Because the truth is that for church leaders, they battle with their hearts as much as anyone else. So if church leaders are struggling in conversations, they may show it, they may not. Probably depends on their personality type. But I know that when I was talking with Natalie, there, there would be things about me taking offence I might not say it, but that's what was going on inside. I'd be getting defensive. At different times, I struggle with anxiety. Or I'm just being plain stubborn. And that's, that's the truth as a, as a church leader. And sometimes I won't even know what's going on because I'm just a human being. But, but it is, and I need to take that away. But, but I need, it's good for you guys as activists to know that sometimes you may not meet the most positive reaction and all you need to do is give it a bit of time for people to, for church leaders to go away and process it and think about it because sometimes it's stuff that's going on in them another thing that's often going on with leaders that again may not be aware at the time is the leadership stretch that they are feeling a lot of leaders feel that they are being pulled in so many directions all at the same time and it could be the case that your conversation is one of four conversations. They've just had the prophet in, bending their ear that there isn't enough time and we're not developing prophecy within the church. Or someone pastorally coming in saying, are you aware that those four people are in hospital and no one has been to see them? And so there can often be within local church leadership just a stretch. It'll be a stretch on a leader personally. It'll be a stretch on finance. Do we invest into youth? Do we invest into social action? Or do we invest into the elderly? There's, can be a fa- There's a stretch on volunteers. Again, you can have a big church or a lot of people there, but more than likely, part of the reason we struggle to come up with our five for that was because we are stretched in so many other areas and probably we were putting the building back together after storm on Friday night. Do you know what I mean? So all of those guys were there repairing the building. I, I don't know. So, so I, think, I think there's the internal battle in the leader. There's the leadership stretch. And I think there's vision as well. Social action isn't everything. It's, it's not. How, how, do we, how, how are we going to effectively pastor people? What's the worship life like? There's all of these things that are competing. And if 
if I was wired like Natalie with the passion and the zeal that Natalie has got, I would more than likely be in social action, not a local church leader. Does that make sense? And so there's those different competing things. And I, I don't know if it's helpful or not, but I wanted to be vulnerable and share it with you because that's the reality of what's going on in me as a local church leader, probably often with those sorts of conversations that are going on. And, and I, wanted, I want to respond well to Natalie. I want to support it. I want to get behind it. But there are those challenges and you're looking for the grace and the wisdom of God to know when do you push into something when do you have to hold? When do you give space for something else in it? Something that's really, really helped me um, in it, and I won't be long on this bit, but I'll hand back to you, Natalie, to bring the other side of the truth, um, is, is I've, I've realised the importance of valuing diversity and unity. And we read it in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, I won't read the verses, about the church is like a body. Jesus is the head, but we've all got a different part to play. And obviously the context is spiritual gifts and using spiritual gifts in, in, a, in a, maybe in a gathered worship context. But I think it is just as evident and as important in the everyday cut and thrust of church life. God has gifted Natalie and God has gifted you in a certain way with passion and personality and gifting and ability. And he's done the same for me. But we're different. And we have a particular function and role within the local church that's so important that we fulfill it to all the God-given ability that we've got. And yet we have this overriding thing of actually unity as well. There's a diversity of gifting which sometimes can grate and be challenging and difficult. And yet the importance of unity and bearing with one another and loving one another in the midst of the disagreement um, and working our way through on that. So that diversity and unity at 1 Corinthians 12. So for me, um, I think the truth is that in the first year of um, working for the church, I was very much trying to be faithful and gifted and um, available. But I think after the first year, I remember, I remember having a meeting with Paul when I'd worked for the church for about 13 months. And it was the first time I sat in a meeting with him and cried and said, I don't think you value me. And he looked like he didn't know what had hit him. Because I think up until that point, I'd pretty much kept certain part of my personality well hidden from him. I think I'd been like, just all like, yeah, I'll serve. Yeah, whatever you want, Paul, I'll just do it all. It'd be great. And then suddenly, I don't even know what prompted that, but I do remember... I think Paul was like, I'll go and get you some tissues. And I felt like he quickly ran out the room. Um, but we have had, I guess, the middle sort of six or seven years where we argued a lot. Paul hasn't got a good poker face, so when we sit in meetings and I'm annoying him, I can tell. And I would often leave the same meetings that he would, he would leave grumpy and annoyed with me, I would leave them feeling no one likes me, I shouldn't work here, like I'm just caused trouble. And Paul and I, for, I don't know when we started talking about that, but it wasn't at the start. So I think there was probably a good couple of years where we just didn't understand each other at all. And I think also I was quite unpredictable. So at that point, there was a lot of insecurity in me that I needed to work through. So I remember Paul once having a conversation with me where I think there'd been some banter one day in the office and I'd walked out in tears and left a note saying, I'm not coming back. Um, and he asked me wisely a few days later, what's the difference though? Because some days you can take that 
and some days you can't. So some days you give as good as you get and other days it's like it tips you over the edge. And I had to, I recognised that what he said was true and I had to go away and think, that's not on him actually. That's not his fault that I do that. That's something going on with me and I need to actually come before God and say, God, help me. What is that about? Why am I, why does that happen? Where some days I would definitely give as good as I got in terms of banter. I like banter in the office. It's, it's a joy often, but there would be these times where it would throw me into like a rage and then I'd be in tears and then I'd be annoyed that I was crying. Um, I think that's potentially a particularly female thing where you just, you don't want to cry because then you feel like you look weak somehow. I don't know, but I think one of the things we hadn't understood, and Martin Charlesworth, who founded Jubilee Plus, helped us understand, was that my style of leadership doesn't look like the kind of tradition... The other leaders on Paul's team at that time, um, there was a certain kind of type, if you like, and I was not that type. And Martin, I remember, I think he sat down with both of us together and said that I'm a prophetic leader. And I I think for both of us, it felt like the penny kind of dropped. I realized I am never going to be satisfied with anything Paul does. Um, Like, it's true. And I think he realized it too. But the fact we were able to talk about that, honestly. So I remember there was one particular meeting. I feel sorry for Paul um, with some of these meetings. Because there was a meeting, I think he was looking forward to it. Because he was going to tell me that we were increasing the proportion of church income that was going to be committed to social action. And so I think it was a meeting that he thought, Nat is going to be really happy when she hears this. And I remember sitting on the other side of his desk across from him and him telling me this. And I don't know what my response was, but it was not good. I think it was, I probably didn't say the words, that's rubbish, but it probably wouldn't have been far off. Would it? <laughs> Yeah, definitely my face would have said, I I just, I was not happy at all. I wanted, I think I wanted about five times as much as um, the the initial step, yeah. And um, yeah, that was an interesting conversation because he said to me, I thought you were going to be really pleased. I was like, why would you think I'd be pleased with that? I want much more than that. But what we'd realized through Martin helping us and through conversations like that is even if he'd said the amount I wanted, my amount would have shifted and I'd have gone higher. Because actually, as a prophetic leader, you always see where you should be, not where you are right now. So learning to handle that between us has been really, really helpful because it's meant that Paul can actually sometimes use that as a bit of a trump card, not that he does, but he can remind me, you know, you're not going to be happy no matter what I do. But it's good for me to know and to manage myself well that actually he's just told me something that I should probably be moderately happy about and still push him for more but my first response could have been that's great Paul please can we talk about then what's next year's plan and you know there's there's ways of doing it which are not just going well that's rubbish of course I'm not happy with that why would you be setting the bar so low so I think learning um that and and to be honest I remember Paul um telling me I was doing communications and a bit of social action at the church and he wanted a vision booklet written so he came to me and said I want us to write a vision booklet and the vision of the church is going to be like this three-pronged vision it's going to be that we go on mission we make disciples and we care for the poor and I didn't know he was going to put it in the vision statement and you'd think and I know some of you in this room would think wow if my church leader said that wouldn't I be so excited and I was grateful I was surprised. I was pleased. I thought, wow, that's amazing. I, and that also amazing because I didn't ask. He, he decided 
that, that as he should because he leads the church. But, you know, he decided that was going to be in the vision of the church. But even then, I don't know. I, didn't, I stopped short of saying, what, it's only a third. I didn't quite go that far. <laughs> but I definitely was like, okay, but what's that going to look like? What's it going to mean? What's it? And my question is always more... What's, what's next? What's more? What else can I have? And so that's just been part of how we have had to learn to navigate some of those tricky conversations. But also Paul telling me how to work well with him has been really helpful. So I remember once him saying to me, if you confront me in a meeting in a room full of people about something, especially if we've already talked about it and whatever, he's like, I've got nowhere to go with that. What am I sp- either, either I have to shoot you down or we have to get into it in a room full of people. He's like, it's just not... You, he, he said, you're never going to get the best response out of me when you do that. And also because of some of his insecurities, then he's got to look like he knows the answers and I've exposed the fact that he doesn't. And so just those conversations have been really, really helpful as we've learned, ah, oh, I can do better by him, but also I can do better by myself as well. So, and we're going to spend the last few minutes talking about the end, I guess. Do you want to do Q&A instead? Do you do Q&A instead? We have only got, we're 10 minutes because we're running five minutes on. Can I just read a list of something? We've got five minutes. Oh, okay. Are we making, I thought we were making up the time from the final. Oh, all right. I've been overruled. This is, this is, this is what happens. This is like the other way around where I lead the team, but I'm being told, yeah, no, it's all good. Um, can I just say, I just, well, I guess there's a couple of things I wanted to say that um, how I think, from my perspective, I've influenced Paul. So I'll just run through him really quickly. One is praying for him. Like, actually, I, I definitely have not prayed for him as much as I have complained to him. But I've made it in more recent years my goal to make sure I'm praying for him and praying for God to speak to him rather than me to nag him into submission. Um, so I've prayed for him. I've learned to understand him, which I've already covered. I've tried to prove myself trustworthy which he's mentioned as well I've tried to push him more gently so I've tried to think what's the next step rather than where do I want him to get to eventually Um, I've tried to thank God and celebrate the degrees of change the Bible says we change we transform one degree from one degree of glory to the next we don't change overnight and so where I've thought Paul needs to change and the church needs to change and in my great wisdom I've I've been tried to be grateful for changes that have happened one degree at a time I think both of us have been really good at apologizing to each other I think that's been something that we have done and we've been good at it's been quite funny we fall out and then we sort of come to a meeting and we both I think typically have got to a place quite quickly where we'll not always but quite quickly (laughs) define quickly maybe and then like I said managing my own heart and my own emotions better thanks so much to Natalie Williams and to Paul Mann and if you haven't had a chance to hear Natalie's keynote talk from the Churches That Change Communities conference why not scroll back a few episodes and have a listen I'll be back with you again tomorrow with another seminar from the conference this time from Andrew Wilson Thank you for joining us. Underneath the shelter of your wings.